0: Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined on this episode by my co-host, Dan Seligson. Hi, Dan.
1: What's up, Miriam? In November, we published an episode of this podcast titled Heaven and Hell in Judaism. Our guest was friend of the pod, Rabbi Baruch Halevi, author of Spark Seekers Morning with Meaning, Living with Light. He is also the co-founder and executive director of Soul Centered, a spiritual center for individuals seeking meaning, purpose, and healing. Rabbi Halevi, aka Rabbi B, helped us explore Judaism's teaching on life after death, and that led to a discussion of resurrection, reincarnation, and communicating with the dead.
0: It was a fascinating topic and one we wanted to dive into more fully. Lucky for us, Rabbi B knew exactly who we should speak to, his sister, Rebecca Rosen. Rebecca is a spiritual medium. For two decades, she has been relaying messages from the dead to the loved ones and others seeking to communicate with them and receive wisdom and healing. Her gift as an ambassador between the spirit world and this world has brought her international acclaim, including numerous media appearances.
1: She's the author of several best-selling books, including "Spirited," "Awaken the Spirit Within," and "What the Dead Have Taught Me about Living Well." Rebecca recently launched her own fabulously titled podcast, "Small Medium at Large." Her mission is to help guide people on spiritual journeys, to destigmatize the paranormal, and to open connections beyond this world. Rabbi B and Rebecca work together to provide spiritual guidance during times of grief. And loss. We're fortunate to welcome both Rabbi B and Rebecca on this episode to discuss their work together and how Rebecca found her incredible gift.
0: Our conversation is wide-ranging and sometimes emotional, touching on challenging issues of belief in the paranormal, grief, doubt, faith, validation, hope, and tikkun ha-nefesh, repairing the soul note that this episode does include a brief mention of suicide that some may find upsetting. If you are struggling or need support, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Rebecca Rosen and Rabbi Baruch Halevi, a.k.a. Rabbi B, thank you both for joining us today on The Vibe of the Tribe and being our first sibling guests ever. It's really fantastic to be back with you all. Thanks for having us. So recently, we published a podcast with you, Rabbi B, discussing Judaism's perceptions and teachings about the afterlife. We talked about what happens to our souls after we die and how the living relate to the dead in Jewish tradition. As part of that episode, you spoke about your sister, Rebecca Rosen, a professional spiritual medium, and Dan and I were fascinated to learn about her and her work and how her work relates to your own. We're so excited to be able to continue that conversation with you both here today. So, Rebecca, you recently launched your very own podcast, Small Medium at Large, which truly is a delightful name for a podcast. You talk about this project as being part of your larger work around normalizing what many people would describe as the supernatural or paranormal. You've written about your journey to this calling To connecting with the dead in your book, Spirited, but for those who may not be familiar, what is a spiritual medium and how does that calling manifest in you?
2: So thank you, by the way, for the compliment on the name. So I'm a medium and a medium is somebody who has a heightened intuitive ability and we can detect the subtle energies of the spirit world. So basically I'm a bridge between heaven and earth. And spirits use me to relay messages to the living. This was not something, as as Bean knows, that I grew up having the awareness that I had this gift. It really was 20 years into my life that I woke up to the ability. And what I've come to learn is that on some level, we all have the gift, right? We all have intuition. It's our birthright. But for some of us like myself, it's, it's more amplified and I'm able to use it for other people.
1: What changed for you since you started doing this work and since you become known in this field?
2: You know, really what's changed is that when this started for me, it was back in 1999, 2000, and this was very taboo. This was not talked about, and it was very scary telling everybody all of a sudden I talked to dead people. And I felt a tremendous amount of judgment and resistance in my early days, and rightfully so. People were questioning what was going on. On some level, I thought maybe it was mental illness. It took a few years for me to really build that faith and trust and release my own doubt, along with doing the work long enough to build credibility. And to release doubt in other people's minds. Because at some point, the work speaks for itself. From that point, I've been doing it for over two decades now. I have just felt so much more outward support. And on top of that, it's become more of a mainstream conversation. With all the television shows on mediums and psychic phenomena. And so I feel incredibly supported at this point.
1: So Rabbi B mentioned at the beginning of your career, there was pushback specifically from rabbis, and I can imagine some other leaders of other faiths, on the idea of communicating with the dead. Has their understanding of your work shifted?
2: Yes. Initially, there was pushback, but considering my first big debut was I was on the cover of the Detroit Jewish News. Naturally, you're going to get a lot of opinions and judgment coming from Rabbis. It was divided, actually. Some were incredibly supportive and believing, and some were not. And um, that's really when I reached out to UB. And there was a gift in this. And I do believe that pushback was part of my soul contract, which, you know, at some point, maybe we can talk about soul contracts. But there was a gift in that because I needed to look internally for my truth and my validation instead of looking externally to others to validate me. This was between me and God. And as long as I knew my intention was pure to use it for good, then I was at peace with it regardless of the opinions.
3: I think it was as much about the evolution of the Jewish community as it was about Rebecca. She did her work and they've done their work, or at least they had the opportunity to do their work. Back in the 90s, spirituality, quote unquote, was just becoming a thing. It was becoming a buzzword. prior to that, it really wasn't part of the conversation. And in the Jewish community, this is when it all started to shift. One of my teachers and mentors, Ellie Spitz, had just written a book around then, Does the Soul Survive? Jewish Views of the Afterlife. And it was controversial. So it wasn't just Rebecca, though she hit a nerve because the difference between Rabbi Spitz and Rebecca is for him, it was theory, exploring these ideas that she talks about in a personal way, um, grounding them in Judaism and Jewish tradition. And I think it was rattling to the Jewish community. And then when Rebecca came along and made it very personal to the point where if you've ever been to one of Rebecca's readings, you can do them online now, by the way. So even if you can't get to her physically, you'll hear emotions start flowing. And people start crying. And I've always said to my colleagues, if you guys could do that in your sermons and in your eulogies, we wouldn't have half the problems that we do. But she opens up people's hearts in ways that I think a lot of rabbis weren't yet able to.
0: I want to go back to the term you just used, Rebecca, of soul contract, which until I had looked at your work, I had never encountered this term. So what I would love to understand is how you perceive of what a soul contract is. And then I'd love to hear from Rabbi B as to how that idea might fit into Jewish Kabbalistic or or mystical ideas about what is a soul supposed to do.
2: So in my years of doing this work, I work with departed loved ones, higher spirit guides and angels. And what they have shared with us is that before we're born, we do a pre-birth planning session with our group of spirit guides. And we have a council, a team in spirit. We set up a loose blueprint or soul contract for this lifetime and what it entails. It's certain events encounters, lessons that we need to come in to learn or teach, okay? So balancing karma from other lifetimes. And so ultimately, we are here to elevate our souls. We are here to re-remember who we are and who we really are. We're not a body, right? We are a soul, and I call it the God spark inside of us. We are a spark of the divine. We are eternal love and light. So when we leave this body, that's what we return to. What we are here to do is, we're here to do our part in raising the consciousness of the planet back to a higher vibration of love. B can speak to this more in Kabbalistic terms. This is on a personal level; it's tikkun ha nefesh, it's healing or repairing the soul, and on a universal level, it's tikkun olam, to heal the world.
3: But I think it is important, though, especially since your audience is probably predominantly Jewish, to ground this in Jewish wisdom texts because. It's important to realize, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and giants have been grappling with this and and living this for for millennia now. This is not foreign to Judaism. Uh, So often I'll have this conversation still with Jews. Judaism doesn't believe that. And I'll always correct them and say, you don't believe that. Jews can believe whatever the hell they want. Judaism unequivocally believes in the soul, in the soul's journey, in the afterlife we've come from somewhere, that we're going from somewhere, and that we're, I think Jung said, we're right now, it's uh, a pause between two great mysteries. Kabbalah has a tremendous amount to say around what Rebecca said, tikkun nefesh. Most Jews say, oh, tikkun olam, our mom growing up. Tikkun olam, tikkun olam, go fix the world. Simultaneously, we're all falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Communities are falling apart because we're not doing the other side of it, which is self-work, tikkun nefesh, soul work. That's why we're here. To do our individual soul work, to participate in a larger tikkun olam, fixing the world. But it's not just about mitzvah projects. It's not just about donating to the Federation. So I support donating to the Federation. I'm wondering, when
1: we lose people who are very young, th- those are the hardest losses for a lot of people, when you lose someone who you think you lost before their time. Does a soul contract account for someone who had a very short period of time here that that their job was of short duration to teach us something, even though we lost them in our minds way too soon. absolutely.
2: I work with so many people who have lost children. And from the personality or the ego perspective, we label that as wrong or bad, okay? And the truth is it's painful. I think there's no greater loss, okay, that you have to go through. But from a soul perspective, there is, there is a reason there are lessons in that. And sometimes that younger soul is a very old soul. they are more advanced and they took one for the team and they said, I'll come in and I will live a brief life. However, I leave the, how it doesn't really matter, but that they leave because with that tragedy, with that loss, there's that break, there's an opening, there's an opportunity for growth for the survivors. Okay, so I always say when you go through tragedy like that, it either takes you further away from God and faith or closer to it. And the whole point is to help deepen your faith. And that's where my work comes in. I consider mediumship a form of healing, because if we can bring through that loved one and help bring meaning to their passing, right? Then there's purpose in it. And then it helps with the grief process. And this is where B and I work really well together, you know, because I I do the wow. And then he's able to, you know, I, I give him enough evidence. Like, let me give you an example. Recently, I had two husband and wife who came to me and their 24-year-old son who is autistic. He had died a few months before and they were Jewish and the husband did not believe it all. The, the wife dragged him into this. And right away, the son came through saying, hey, I I said, did you bury him with his shoes? Because in Judaism, obviously, that's not traditional. And I said, he's saying he likes the shoes you put in the casket. And it blew the husband's mind because a week before he died, he died suddenly. They bought him a new pair of shoes and he loved these shoes. And they buried him in those shoes. So at that point, we opened this man's mind that was undeniable. Nobody knew this. And then we were able to bring through the deeper meaning and message and why he came in and died at 24. And you could see the shift after that conversation.
3: It's an opening. You know, there's a saying in Kabbalah that to all great spiritual journeys start with one word in Hebrew, ma, which is what or why? Lama and until you're willing to say i don't know there's no growth and what rebecca does very well is get skeptics to say wow and the moment they say wow that's where i step in and work with a lot of her clients on how do you take that opening and now grow from it and it is that combination of the opening and then doing the work i think that is transformative
0: in our episode about the jewish afterlife we we discussed reincarnation as a way that souls could complete a task here on earth or, or learn an important lesson or whatever else that they need to do as part of their soul contract. Now, Rebecca, in your podcast, you talk about the life between lives. Can you share a story about
2: encountering reincarnation in your work? Sure. Yeah. I, this comes up every day. We have incarnated into hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of different lifetimes, different bodies. My first introduction to this in the early days of doing this was when I read Dr. Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And then I noticed it started coming up in my readings where spirits would come through talking about past lives. I've had many people who come to me who want to try and connect with a certain departed loved one and they won't come through. And the reason is either that they have evolved so high to the higher heavens that it's too hard for them to lower their vibration into this heavy, dense earth world to make that communication happen, or they've reincarnated into another body. And I always say, I can't channel the living and I don't want to. And so if they're reincarnated, we can't make that connection. I'll give you an example. So I had a reading with a woman and she really wanted to connect with her father who died when she was a young girl. And she was now in her sixties and she had her own grandchildren. And I just put in, and I don't force it. I always say, I don't go fish in the sea of the dead. They come to me and I just listen, okay? So I asked her guides, is her father there? And they told me the name Max. Okay. So I said, who is Max? She said, Max is my oldest grandson. I said, I'm getting your father is the reincarnation. He is in Max's body. Max, your grandson is your father. And she lost it because Max is her favorite grandchild. They have a very close relationship. He has mannerisms like her father. At that point, I said, What's with the blue eyes? I'm seeing blue eyes. And she said, Her father had these crystal clear blue eyes and they were Jewish and, you know, it's not as common. And her grandson, Max, has the most amazing blue eyes. She said, I've always felt my dad's presence when I'm with Max. So that was our way of confirming in her mind and heart, right? That her father's soul was reincarnated to just play a new role with her in this lifetime. Was she she calmed by that or in some way? Incredibly. I imagine that's a huge shock too, though. It wasn't a shock. And that's how I knew she was ready to hear it. So when I get information, spirit only gives you what you're ready to hear. They're never going to hurt you or scare you or harm you. It's always meant to be validating, comforting, inspiring. She said to me, my daughter and I talk about it all the time. He, either my father's the guardian angel or he is my father. She's always felt it. And so she felt like for the first time, she wasn't crazy. She wasn't making this up.
3: I've been to dozens of her readings and I've never once experienced anybody re- receiving the information negatively. And I think that's what you just said, Rebecca, is that spirit gives you what you are ready to and need to hear. But that's been an interesting phenomenon, at least from my perspective, is that it really has only been comforting to people.
2: Exactly. You know, it's not always positive. I tell you the truth. And I, before I work with anybody individually or in a group, I pray and I pray for the highest truth and highest healing. And then I get out of the way. I try and be a pure channel and not project any of my ego's interpretation onto it. And then I trust what comes through is what they need to hear. Now, I just did last week, I had a series of readings that were anything but positive. Your husband is cheating on you. And you need to get divorced, but these women knew it, all of them. When it came through, they were like they, they were relieved. Somebody was finally validating their truth and their knowing. And so again, if they're ready for it, it does even if it's negative in nature, it's comforting and it's, it's helpful. That's the intention behind it.
1: I've I've seen just and I can see everyone else can hear I can see and hear both of you the way in which you you work together as siblings and I think it's great I don't have the best relationship with my sister so I'm envious and I'm I'm wondering in addition to working with each other how do you inspire each other in your respective work?
3: And we've been working together for over two decades now I'd say even closer to three decades really and we have always had a complementary personality. We're very different personality-wise. We're very different kind of life pursuits. I've gone all over the world. Rebecca's kind of remained steady and just kind of this dance that feels, it's always felt to me karmic, cosmic. We were brought here to hold each other's energy and balance, kind of like a chesed, gibura, yin-yang. And I think a lot of that, at least for me, has always come back to our Our personal story, which was, and I won't go too deep into it, I bet Rebecca talks about it in her books. I talk about it in my book, Sparsely. But our grandmother at age, when I was age 15, Rebecca was two years younger, took her own life. She uh, completed suicide. And that really pivoted our family's destiny. And my father reacted to it. um, And over the course of two decades, really kind of came undone in many ways and took his life about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And... It's always felt to me that Rebecca and I were put here in some ways in order to kind of do ticoons, you know, some repair around that family's lineage. So it's always felt much bigger than just us as individuals, at least to me.
2: Absolutely. I agree with all of that. Being my big brother, he's always been my hero. And growing up in when I was in high school, he was the one who put me on this path not talking to dead people, but my spiritual path. He would send me books when you were in college. You would send me books, Man, Search for Meaning, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, right? He got me to think deeper and start to soul search. And we have a very close connection. Again, part of our soul contract, like he said, we both are here to help people along their soul's journey. Okay, and we're doing it, like he said, complementary in different ways. And I think we're both masters in our own domain. So we've never felt any competition energy with each other. And so that's been, it's been really amazing to have that support. When I talk about a team spirit, I I have a part in that team spirit. It's called your ground crew. And your ground crew are people in this world who are your soulmates. Okay. Soulmates aren't just romantic. Soulmates can be your siblings, your children, your parents. And B is definitely one of mine. Again, there's no coincidence. We ended up, after him being all around the world, we're back in the same town now doing this work together.
3: Same neighborhood. I mean, you know, didn't even plan this. Across the street. Yeah, and actually my father said years ago, no, I forgot what it was, but 25 years ago we talked about um, Rebecca and I and my wife Ariella working together in some capacity and my father was involved. And bottom line is, you know, against you know, man plans, God laughs. And Arielle and I made Aliyah. We're living halfway across the world. And here we are living almost across the street.
1: Uh, Rebecca, you, you emphasize the role that communicating with departed loved ones can have in terms of personal validation. What does that look like or mean to people who have connected with their deceased loved ones with your help? Do you get any follow-up, how it's changed them or changed the family dynamic? Yes.
2: You know, I'm so blessed. My clients are amazing. And they, lately I've gotten about a dozen in the last two or three weeks of follow-up emails saying either how it changed their life. They slept for the first time that night after the reading, you know, they haven't slept in years or um, things that come through initially Didn't make sense. And then a day or a week later, it happened and they had their aha moment. I see how the work I do, or the work, it's not, it's what spirit's doing through me because it really isn't me. It's magic, it's life changing. And I really believe a big part of my responsibility in having this gift is building authentic faith. And it's like we talked about earlier, I think it's so important. That when you see a medium, that they can give you concrete evidence, things nobody would know because no, it's not about that. But like we said earlier, you need that to build trust because then you let your defenses down, you open your heart and mind, and that's where the real healing happens. And then we can talk about the more universal messages that are the most powerful. I'm sorry. I love you. um, I'm proud of you right? So many people coming to me just need that closure, need to know that their departed loved one felt those things. You talk about this for
0: you as as a gift, an ability, an innate ability. What are some things that people can do on their own to strengthen this intuition, to communicate or feel connected, or maybe even have a better understanding of their own soul's path? What are some sort of exercises, quote unquote, one can do for this muscle?
2: I always say nobody's closer to your own intuition and your departed loved ones and guides and angels than you are. We all have intuition. It's called a sixth sense, right? Some of us, it's stronger and more natural than for others, okay? But it's like a muscle. And the more you work it, the stronger it gets. And the way you do this is through prayer and meditation. Prayer being us setting intention and talking to guides, talking to our higher self, inviting in the divine, because we have free will. So we need to give permission to invite that energy in. And then meditation is us getting still, getting present, getting out of our head into our heart, because our guidance, our intuition lies in our heart, not in our thoughts. The best thing one can do meditation, I think the word scares people sounds intimidating. It really meditation is just being mindful, it's being present. It's just really choosing to pull your energy out of the future, worrying about it or obsessing over the past and getting present, getting still and breathing. Another way people can really work on this is inviting spirit into their dreams. Because naturally, when we go to sleep, our mind is quieted and out of the way. And so we're not fighting that resistance. People oftentimes will say they got very clear guidance in their dream or they they had a visitation from their departed loved one. More so maybe than meditation for some.
3: Can I just add a follow up to that from a Jewish perspective? And kind of a little question for Rebecca. What, what percentage of would you guess of your clients are Jewish?
2: My clientele, I would say 50 to 60%. We're talking
3: staggering numbers, considering we're mm-hmm. 2, 3% of the, the market. That really attests to a desire, a hunger that Jewish people are, they're hungry for, and they're not finding in traditional settings and circles. So they're going to Rebecca, and I'm, I'm happy that they are. Uh, she'd be the first to say, though, that, you know, also start where you stand. Look at your traditions that you've inherited. Explore those. Judaism has meditation. It's called the Bodhidut. It's quieting. It was the beginning of the prayer service. It wasn't all supposed to be just mumbling in words. It was supposed to be a quieting so we could listen and hear spirit and spirits. And so when you get to the Kaddish, as an example, and you're connecting with your loved one, it isn't just a check mark. It's a talking to grandma and hearing from grandma and reciprocity and relationship continues on. And it just breaks my heart sometimes to see all of these people who aren't finding it And I'm glad they're finding it in Rebecca. They should also find it in Judaism.
0: So now Dan and I are going to ask two questions that are sort of personal in nature, personal to us in nature. When I was 20 and my father was dying, he tasked me and my siblings with carrying on some things that he would not be able to do himself here on earth. And this was almost exactly 15 years ago. It was 15 years ago last week. I often think that the weight of this feeling of obligation to perpetuate a legacy was not necessarily a healthy burden for myself and my siblings to carry in the intervening years. What do you see as the limitations or extent of, of what the living need to do to fulfill the wishes of the dead?
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I hear this a lot when I work with clients. When we pass away, we remove ourselves from our ego, okay? We reunite with our higher self. And we are able to have a broader non-physical view of our lives and what we said and what we did. And that includes the expectations or demands or burdens maybe that they put on the living. And they will come through apologizing owning it, taking accountability, and trying to lift that burden off the living, okay? So my sense is that came from a very disconnected place, okay, whatever was said. And nine times out of 10, the spirit would come through saying, I am sorry, that was unfair. And so what I say is you have to do whatever you feel in your heart feels like the right thing to do. So do as much or as little, whatever that means, but get rid of the shoulds right? The shoulds become the burden. And that's just your mind talking to you. So the soul, the spirit would want you to feel free, whatever that means.
1: So I haven't had the devastating experience of losing a parent, but I lost a very close friend. I just went to visit her at her gravesite last week. She turned 34 on New Year's Eve she didn't turn 34. She would have turned 34 on New Year's Eve. And I find myself regularly since she died talking to her. It is a one-way conversation as she's visited me in dreams and she she doesn't speak. I really want that connection and to have one more conversation. I visited her a lot when she was literally on her deathbed, but went um, on a pre-scheduled vacation right before she went into hospice. And I wasn't there when she passed. This is where I feel like someone can. Help me because, you know, I just, it's incomplete. What changes do you see in people after they've been able to have that, maybe that last conversation, or maybe it's the beginning of an ongoing conversation with someone who they love and, and that they've lost?
2: What I find is when people come to me, it's the end, you're putting closure to the pain associated with their death. And like you said, it's the beginning of opening the door to a new way of relating and being in relationship with spirit because their body's gone, but their spirit is eternal and always with you. My job is again, to open that doorway and make it a to be continued so that when you leave the reading, you believe they're watching, they're listening. And if you ask for communication, ask for signs, you start getting it. Life becomes really magical. I should share a story with you. This happened about a month ago where a good friend of mine she was raised Catholic. We always joke, she did not believe in what I do at all. Okay. And her, her husband died tragically. He, he hit his head, was in a coma for a year and then he passed away and he was young and it took her a while, but she finally got up the courage to call me and, and said, I, I need something. Cause I am, I am dying inside and I just need to changed my mind about all this and the way she was raised this was the devil's work okay but she came she did a reading and her husband knew that she needed concrete evidence to open the doorway to be mind blowing enough that she would walk out of it knowing she could have her own connection to it so he said something about Starbucks coffee and her order getting messed up and i said did that happen she said well i go to Starbucks every single morning I have a ritual. Since he died, I go, I walk around Wash Park and then I go to this one Starbucks and I get the same drink. I've been doing it every day since he died. And I, she goes, nope, nothing's ever happened. Guess what happened the next morning after the reading? They messed up her Starbucks coffee. Guess what happened day two after that? They messed it up again. She took pictures and texted me. She was sold at that point. She said, he did that to show me that when I'm talking to him to help me believe, he's hearing me, right? So not needless to say, now she's a total believer, but that's the power of what this can do. Because at the end of the day, they want to stay in relationship with you. They are still very much with you.
3: Rebecca, you've said many times, and I've seen it, people have a misconception of what you do. They think you speak and hear words back, and you'll talk about it, but You don't hear words nearly as much as see images and get feelings and have a sense of what's being communicated, correct?
2: Correct. Spirits don't have mouths. They don't talk. It would make my life a lot easier. They are impressing energy into my mind and body. It's like playing the game of shades, And it's a sign language. So they have to use my frame of reference. So if I watched a movie the night before, and it was with Kevin Costner, and the guy's name was Kevin. I'm going to see them. i be like, why am I seeing Kevin Costner? this Oh, my husband's name is Kevin. So it really is not a perfect science. And that's why I'm still learning and growing my abilities. But that's why I would just encourage people when they're setting out to start meditate or communicate with departed loved ones, angels and guides, it takes time and it takes a lot of faith and trust. Because in those early years, I thought I was making it up. But
3: but I guess, Dan, sorry, I come back to your point. And you said about your friend, you know, it's a one-way conversation. And I would just challenge, and I work with Rebecca's clients all the time, challenging them on deepening the relationship. Because the best relationships aren't built on words. They're built on feelings. And it's about listening Mm -hmm. in a new way and receiving messages in a new way. And it's like I always say, I'd rather have my dad here for a cup of coffee and talk. But that's not the choice.
1: And it's so interesting, Rabbi B and Rebecca, that you mentioned that the dead don't speak. And I, have, I can tell you that every single dream I've had about her, she never speaks. Uh, and every single dream I have about everyone else, they're talking all the time.
2: It's telepathic. So, so whether it's in your dream state, that's very, very common. They don't speak or you go to the spirit world and you meet up with your loved ones. It's all telepathic. So you're feeling, you're beaming these beams of energy back and forth and you're intuiting and feeling like these said versus an actual conversation.
3: If you look at the Torah and the way God communicates, usually it's vayomer, it's not vayadaber. Vayadaber means God spoke. But when God communicates, it's usually vayomer and it means God communicated and it isn't necessarily words like with Moses in the burning bush. It's something ordinary, but Moses has sat in, gotten quiet, like Rebecca talks about, and he's able to see the ordinary is extraordinary and he feels God's presence, but it never said that they exchanged words.
0: It's so interesting that we're talking about the, the dream element and the lack of words that you get from somebody who has passed on, who's visiting you in your dream. I was talking with my mother around a few weeks ago when, when it was my father's yard site. I was checking in on her. It's been 15 years. I'm, I just wanted to see how she she was on a Larger scale, you know. And she said, "I'm devastated because for ten years I've had this reoccurring dream where my father pushes her away. Like she'll try to interact with him in the dream, and then he pushes her away and pushes her away. And and she's devastated by this because she's she feels like she's trying to do the work of trying to connect with him in the dream, but that he doesn't want her to do that. And I'm wondering." Is there something different about connecting with someone who is passed on in a dream versus in a waking state when you are getting these messages? Do you find that there's a a big difference in dreams versus waking life?
2: So dreams are really an amazing opportunity for someone because again, we talked about this, the mind is quieted. So you release your resistance. And then you're more open, but it takes a lot of skill for the spirit to know how to project their energy into a human's mind. Not every spirit knows how to do it. My clients will say, I'm so frustrated. I keep asking for them to come into my dreams and they're not showing up. And I say, give it time. They, they they're being trained by their higher guides on how to connect with you in the dream state. So sometimes it's easier for them to come through me, the mind of the medium and connect initially that way, and then in time, learn to be able to connect in the dream state. Is it different for me? So I work as a mental medium, which is what we were talking about. Spirit impresses my mind and body with thoughts and feelings. I am completely conscious. I am not in a trance-like state where some forms of mediumship, you literally go unconscious, okay? So in the dream state, you're unconscious, and you're out of the way, and you're receiving connection. But in mediumship, I'm completely here. It's like a meditation. You can be fully here, but in an altered state of mind. And so that's ultimately the difference.
3: I would just add that what's well known in, in uh, the Talmud, it says dreams are uh, a 160th of prophecy. That's a way of saying that they're not nothing. They're something. They're significant. And I think one of the reasons is because there's a couple of call called There's so much I in my daily life. Me, me, me. I, I, I. And I have my mind made up on how I want to hear from my dad. I want to hear specifically in this way, and this state, and on this topic. And when I go to sleep, I goes away. And now he can actually communicate in a way that I can hear for the first time. And I just think it's important to really challenge our assumptions about it's just a dream, really, because dreams are significant.
2: One more thing I would add to that is that the difference to know, to know the difference if it was your mind processing your your day, your subconscious versus an actual visitation, when you wake up and it feels so real as if it happened, it did happen. That is a real visitation and you never forget it. It doesn't matter how many years go by. I've had at least a dozen where our dad came to me in such a profound visitation versus I've had dreams where I'm processing and and so I had dreams where I was pushing my dad away or he was pushing me away and I wanted to say to you that was my subconscious. I could tell the difference. It was not a visitation. And so sometimes it's our own fears and our unresolved baggage playing out a story in our dream state. So I would just share with your mom to comfort her. That's not your dad. Mm. Okay. Her husband would embrace her. And when she's ready, he will, he'll come and it will feel embraced, embracing and loving and anything but what she's been experiencing. Wow. That, I mean, that does make a lot of sense (laughs) because she was describing how, how completely out
0: of character that would have been for him and that's mm-hmm. why she was so confused and perplexed and upset by this because it was so alien to her her real experience of him and their relationship that's very interesting yeah so.
1: and, and when i had my dream i woke up and, and i'm not uh default a person who would believe my mind was previously not open to this kind of thing but i immediately texted her best friend and i said beth came to visit me last night i saw beth last night and she said what did she say and i said unfortunately she didn't say anything but she was there and like i, I you're right rebecca i will not forget that right. i will never forget that because that wasn't that did not feel like a dream and i don't remember my dreams right. i really don't they're out in 2 seconds and that one it's still there and i still talk about it
2: yes amazing
1: there's a beautiful quote from a french philosopher We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Each of us has a divine light or God spark within us that we need to amplify. Rabbi B, I'm curious how this manifests itself in Jewish philosophy.
3: I mean, I think it jives perfectly in Kabbalah. The word olam, which Rebecca talked about, tikkun olam, fixing the world, also is the same word as ne'elam, which means hidden. Ultimately, that which is hidden is really more real than that which is real. Freud said this, right? The invisible is more important than the visible. And this has been Judaism's message for thousands of years, that this is the illusion, right? What's before and beyond is the ultimate reality. We talked about reincarnation before. A teacher of mine once said, the miracle isn't that we could be born again in, in reincarnation. The miracle is that we're born at all this life is a miracle. And when you start looking at the world through the eyes of what Rebecca is introducing so many people to, and what Judaism has been saying for thousands of years, you stop taking this physical world so seriously, and you start paying attention to what is ultimate truth and reality, which is the soul and your loved one's soul surviving, and that relationship continues on.
0: I'm interested to know if both of you have witnessed a or felt a change in this the past year we all just went through in terms of spiritual connection. Are people driven by the really horrific events of this past year to search more deeply, to investigate their spirituality in a way that perhaps they wouldn't have in, in a different time? Have you guys mm-hmm. seen anything about this or, or felt like this is the, the case? Personally, yes,
2: absolutely. When life gets messy, people want to know that there's a rhyme and reason to all the madness and all the challenges that they're facing. And they want some reassurance that everything's going to be okay. And so I have found so many of my clients coming to me, not only to connect with their departed loved ones, but to something bigger. Okay, that something bigger I call God. And to know that they have a team in spirit, to offer them a higher perspective on what's happening, to find the meaning in it, and to learn their lessons in this for their own souls' growth, and to help give them guidance and support that they need to get through the messy times.
3: Yeah, I would say that Jews in particular and Westerners in general don't do death, especially Jews. We like we're so masterful in so many areas. And I can't tell you how many people I buried who ran multi-million dollar organizations and didn't have end-of-life affairs in order. And they weren't spring chickens. I mean, this was not out of the blue. No, they didn't want to face it. And I feel like what this past year has done has reminded us what we should have known, but we forget that we're mortal, that this is fleeting, that it all can disappear in a second. And some people have buried their heads and gone deeper into being a physical being, maybe having a spiritual experience. But a lot of people have said, I want to find meaning in this. And I want to explore things that probably I wouldn't have explored a year or two ago. uh, And that's what I do. I'm a logotherapist. work with Dr. Viktor Frankl, finding meaning in what otherwise will just be meaningless. And people are hungry for meaning, in my experience, like they haven't been ever before.
0: Dan, do you think I would have been open to it, you know, just like even six months ago? Or would I just have laughed? Like, I was shut off. 100% 100 cynical. 100 cynical. Completely yes. closed off from. Yes. And I, I would have been delighted to say this is absolutely ridiculous. But the thing that happened over the past year was that I realized I do not know mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm talking about. And and frankly, really, why am I shutting this aspect of myself? Why am I shutting the door on that? Why am I slamming it shut and saying I do not want to open it anymore? So that's been just like my personal <laughs> investigation well, I think of this not year.
3: Alone. There's a midrash that says every baby is born with their fists clenched tight and every corpse leaves the world with its hands open. And really the key of this journey is to learn how to open your hands before life opens them for you. And I feel like what the past year has done has got us all out of our illusion of control. You know, my 401k, my job, my health, I'm in control. And then this year comes and it opens your hands for you. And there's, there's blessing in that.
2: And it's really about surrender. It's about letting go and trusting God has a plan. And all you can do is show up each day and you choose. Are you going to show up in a place of fear and control and anxiety? Or are you going to show up in a place of faith and trust and love? And it's easier said than done. But... It's possible. And the other thing I wanted to add is that I think for you, the reason why you're going through this is a lot of my clients are going through this as well. This awakening, the veil between this world and the spirit world is thinning. Okay, literally, we're going through this ascension process. We're moving from operating from a merely a three dimensional consciousness to a fourth and fifth dimensional And the fourth dimension being like the dream state, okay? The fifth dimension being the spirit world. And it's thinning. And so heaven's coming closer to earth. And so it's those of us who are willing to open our minds and hearts are, okay? And we're having these magical, synchronistic experiences more often. So I think it's really exciting, at least from my perspective. I would say for me,
0: it's more terrifying because I was, I was like, I don't but because I was, you know, uh. Rabbi B knows this but I was raised Orthodox and I, I stopped being observant or religious around the time of my father's death. So it's been quite a time and I was such an adherent. And here I am closing my hands right now. You can see the actual <laughs> acting out of what you're talking about. An adherent of, of saying there is nothing there and I'd prefer if there was nothing out there. And that's what's changed is I don't have this hard and fast rule of my preference is none of this exists. And the only thing that's real is what I can see in front of my face. It's interesting because I never thought I would get to such a place. Having left a place of faith and religion to then go forward, not having that practicing traditional religious viewpoint, but trying to open a door to more than I was willing to do before.
2: So do you so I was just have a personal yeah. question for you. Do you feel like you're on a spiritual path now versus religious? It's so, it's so odd.
0: I would never say religious because to me that that says, you know, I follow, I'm Shomer Shabbat, I'm keeping kosher, mm-hmm. I'm doing all that very structured stuff. And I don't even know if I'm spiritual. I don't think there is a God. I don't, I don't know. So I don't know what path it is. It's just a path of acknowledging. A, a little ember of the fire that was there before coming back. And it's terrifying because for as a child, my identity was religion. And then as a young adult into my thirties, my identity was rejection of spirituality and religion. And I don't know where that leaves me. And that's what's the kind of scary thing. But also I have to acknowledge that there's something going on. Right. I don't know if that answers. Probably, that.
2: Land, probably land in the middle. Yeah. yeah the middle <laughs> way. Yeah.
1: It's You know, it's interesting, Miriam, that what changed me a little bit, and, and I would probably be like Miriam a year ago if you asked me, I would say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. I read, I don't know if either one of you read Sarah Hurwitz's book, Here All Along. She was a former speechwriter for uh, both Obamas, and she wrote this beautiful book about how her spiritual journey and desire to find something more led her back to Judaism, and she has this entire chapter where she describes what she thinks God is. And when she explained that, I read it, I'm like, it doesn't, I don't have to see a robe. I don't have to visualize a heaven that is in a cathedral somewhere. I can I can think about that something extra that I felt when my child was born or that that feeling when I'm in the woods or that that something extra that I can't explain that isn't one of my five senses. And that feeling opened me up to the experience that like I can believe in something life plus extra. That to me is what is what would make me believe that this visit I had was real and and that these experiences and the things that we talk about, I I, I'm not skeptical. I'm listening with like a completely open mind to this, you know, this conversation and these ideas. So hopefully this new year will be brighter than the one that just mercifully for most of us has ended. What spiritual advice do you have for how we should approach the future 2021 and beyond when when we have expectations of of a world that that will get better?
2: So I'll start. We can't control what happens externally around us, but we can control what's going on internally. And so a practice um, that I've written about in a couple of my books, I think, it's this important, it's about getting spiritually dressed for your day. Just like you'd get physically dressed, you get spiritually dressed and you take a minute, five minutes before you go about your day and you go within And you get out of your head and you drop into your heart, okay? Because you want to get out of the anxiety and the fear and all the mind thoughts and get into in touch with your truth and that inner stillness. And when you then move into your day from that place, you're in an aligned place coming from your higher self. And and then whatever's happening around you really doesn't matter, okay? Because you're choosing to view it through that lens of love and trust,
3: i think of Paul Harvey's words in times like these. There have always been times like these. People say this is the worst time in human history. And I have to kind of contextualize it and say, you know, I'd rather be here than 1939 Germany. But there are always, always battles, always struggles, right? It's called The Arena by uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And, And what I've found is people are hungry to know what they're made of. And this is an opportunity to be put into the arena. You want to, you don't want to, it's here. What are you made of? Are you going to rise up or are you going to cower? And I, again, work with people all day, every day on um, Dr. Frankel's, you know, who who survived the Holocaust and didn't just survive, he thrived after the Holocaust and he taught other people how to. And his quote is, uh, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. And no matter, echoing what Rebecca said, but no matter what the arena brings you, you have the power of choice and it is the greatest gift you've been given and it's the only thing you have. And so whatever 2021 brings and 2022 and so forth, you get the power to choose your response and, and that's exciting to
2: me.
0: Well, Rebecca and and Rabbi B, thank you both for joining us today on the Vibe of the Tribe. This has been such an interesting, challenging, thoughtful, wonderful conversation. I'm I'm so happy you could join us today.
3: Thank you so much.
0: It's been great. Thank you. Thank you out there for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate and review the Vibe of the Tribe wherever you listen to pods. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse. Everyone out there, Wear a mask, stay safe, and be well.